It's the show after the show. This is the After 9 Podcast with Scott and Kat. Holy shit's creek. (laughs) You know, it was pretty weird last night watching a show that's been on for years. Clean up at the Emmys as if no one had ever heard of it before. Mm -hmm. It was strange to see a Canadian show... Win the first seven Emmys that they handed out on TV. It's been on for six or is it six or six seasons? I think was That's the right. total number. But there, to be fair, in case you're wondering, it, and and it's unfortunate that that happens that it takes a while until it gets picked up in the states for things to really blow up. But when Pop picked it up there in the states, then it became a little more popular. And of course, Netflix then picked it up, and then it became much much more popular. So a lot of people, those are people who binged in this last couple of years, uh, Shit's Creek, and now everybody's talking about it there even though they they finished they wrapped up and you wonder scott if they had known the popularity and the amount of emmy wins this show would have gotten them if they would have kept on post six seasons and kept on for a couple more seasons just to see what they could get um whatever or maybe they would have stuck true to the what they wanted which is truly just six seasons of this show which was originated by uh, cbc do you think after last night they're going to realize how much money is on the line for them and go ahead and make another season, even though they said it was done. I mean, I don't know how it ends. Did somebody die or what? I, I'm really not sure. But did Catherine O'Hara go even more crazy than she already is? Who knows? But I would think they have to be thinking about either another season or a spinoff because they're just leaving big money on the table. And in all fairness, as this show has been on for a long time, like you said, There's a lot of Canadians who saw that last night who thought to themselves, "Mm, maybe I will start watching this. There's got to be something to it. Mm -hmm. And it's been available to us all this time. We didn't notice it either. Sometimes it does take a break in America for Canadians to appreciate something Canadian. It happens that way with viral news stories all the time. There's stuff that happens here and nobody really knows about it except for people in that local area. But if that story goes viral in America, boom. Everybody across Canada picks it up. We're just sort of centered like that. It's kind of a strange thing. Anyway, uh, Emmys overall were good, I thought, all things considered. They had a lot of technology issue potential, but for the most part, they mitigated it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Kimmel did a good job. He always does. He's consistently... He's a good host. Yeah, it's never a belly laugh, but it's always... Good job, Jimmy. Yeah. All in all... I'll give it a solid 7.5 out of 10. I believe we have the winners posted at scottandcat.ca, mm-hmm. although I can't see it right now because there's server issues, That's which has occupied way too much of my morning so far. How was your weekend? Uh, weekend was good. I, I didn't have a lot planned. A couple of plans that I had, I kind of canceled on. Uh, Did you? You I'm had to? I'm li- a little cautious right now, a little cautious. Were, were you planning on having more than 10 people inside no. or 25 outside? No, I was not. Nope, not even that. Just uh, dinner plans and things like that. Okay. They changed some rules over the weekend, and we will talk about that coming up in the podcast. You're also going to hear a replay of this morning's Missed Connections from our FM radio show on 91.5 The Beat in Kitchener. Um, As a woman, were you sad, shocked, angry, or indifferent about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Um, I, you know what, I, 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 obviously I was sad to hear it. I know she did a lot, um, not just for women though. Um, I know she did a lot for people 
as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I necessarily speak as a woman to say it's it's too bad to hear. Um, but I'll also be f- forthright and honest in that I don't know a lot as or maybe as much about her as a lot of these people who are so upset are. Maybe I have a lot to learn about her, right? Because mm-hmm. I really don't know. I really couldn't tell you her full history, a biography of her. So it's something to look into for sure because she's obviously made an impact on a lot of people's lives. And you know what? I'm sure people will start to learn more about her. It's not like there hasn't been opportunities. There was a documentary in 2018. Actually, no, that one was the movie in 2018 on the basis of sex. Felicity Jones played young Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, And and then there was the RBG documentary, which I believe CNN put out, that focused on her first big case after law school. Everyone seems to agree this was a real champion of gender equality and of women's rights. And it was there was a lot of women who found her story very empowering. It's actually kind of refreshing to hear you say, I don't know as much about her as I probably should. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that we wait until people die before we start to learn about Isn't them in history true? class. And appreciate them and, and truly appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, – Smaller scale, I'll say, but a former prime minister passed away over the weekend. John Turner has died at 91. Uh, John wasn't prime minister for very long. It was 79 days, I believe, before his government fell. Or, uh, yeah, that's right. We had an election. And uh, now I'm hearing all these people come out about what a great prime minister he was and how smart he was and how good looking he was. And nobody really talked about John Turner. And I don't know how long it is before we start to learn about people in history class. But when you die, does that speed up in the curriculum (laughs) how soon you start to hear about these people? Maybe. Yeah. Like in Canadian history, I don't remember even learning about Pierre Elliott Trudeau as a prime minister. I learned a lot about the rebellion of 1837 and Sir John A. Macdonald, but I don't remember hearing much about some more modern history. So I'd imagine there's going to be some civics classes and maybe even history classes that'll learn a thing or two about uh, John Turner this weekend and maybe even about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Either way, it's created quite the stir in America. Mm hmm. A quick uh, history lesson here. You'll recall that President Obama was able to appoint a Supreme Court justice in his final year as president. But the Republicans controlled the Senate and blocked it. They said, no, 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 no. You're a lame duck president. You're in your second term. You can't run for a third term. We can't let a lame duck president appoint a Supreme Court justice. You've got less than a year left in your term. This isn't happening. Well, Donald Trump is, what, 40 days away from an election? He may be on his way out, too. He wants to appoint a Supreme Court justice, which would very much skew the court to the Republican side of politics. And the Democrats are flipping out, saying, hey, you can't appoint a Supreme Court nominee. You wouldn't let us do it when Obama was in the last year. How come you can do it? Now Trump says he's going to wait until after the funeral for RBG, and then he's going to announce a nominee. And it'll be up to the Senate to either confirm this nominee or reject it. It doesn't look like they're going to reject it. And there's already people in America saying, fuck that. We're, th- there's going to be war over this. Because if they do 
appoint a right-leaning Supreme Court justice, depending on who it is, that could have a major impact on everything from gun rights to voting laws to Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to choose, depending on which judge they put in there. So it's going to be messy in the U.S. for the next little while, Kat. I mean, (laughs) in a way, it's a good thing we can't go down there. Like, when you say that, it's like, it already is messy. It's like, I just think of, like, chaos when I think of the states right now. There's no way I'd want to touch that place. I I, I could barely even think about it without, like, it giving me a headache, to be quite honest with you. It's insane. Uh Uh-huh. They say there are certain cars that are more likely to get you a speeding ticket. I'll run down the list real quick. We're going to start off with the Subaru WRX. Mm. That doesn't pop into my head. Like, when I hear that, I can't think of what a WRX seems like. But I'll tell you, two out of the top three cars that get the most speeding tickets are Subarus. Am I crazy? Like, when I think of Subaru, I think, oh, yeah, all-wheel drive and uh, airbags everywhere and airbags for the airbags. Yeah. It's the safest car out there. I never think of them as speed machines or anything like that. No. And, I mean, I, the first thing I thought of when you said speeding cars is, like, okay, I'm thinking of, like, Beamers, a Mercedes. Um, Subaru didn't pop into my head right away. Volkswagen GTI was number two. If you're a Volkswagen GTI driver, 17.38% of you have gotten a speeding ticket in the last year. The national average is 10%. So driving a GTI, 17%, 20% for the Subaru WRX. It's a bit of a heat score. And I wonder if cops know. Like, oh yeah, yeah there's a GTI. Follow it long enough and you'll catch him speeding. You'll catch him doing something wrong. This is an easy ticket. Infinity G37 is number four. Dodge Dart. Number five, Hmm. the Hyundai Veloster, Dodge Challenger, Mm -hmm. Dodge Ram is the only truck on there. Wow. Dodge Charger, and then the Nissan 350Z. I mean, if you factor in your speeding tickets to the cost of a car, that's pretty substantial. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get a a Subaru WRX or a Volkswagen GTI. Oh, the insurance is a little higher. Oh, then factor in all the speeding tickets I'm going to get. Maybe that has an impact on which car you actually buy. I'm not crazy about cars that go super fast. I mean, I don't really drive much faster than 120 anyway, really under many circumstances. So uh, does it go 120? Great. I'll take it. Yep, that's (laughs) all I need to go up to. Yeah, I'm good. I don't think cars should go any higher than that anyway, but that's a whole different conversation for a whole other podcast. We can totally do that another day. Before we get to the COVID stuff, one more thing I want to mention. This got a lot of attention this morning. It has to do with a wedding that is going on. It is a couple who has put out their invitations. Somebody noticed the RSVP card and decided to put the picture of that RSVP card online. That's because they're asking you on the RSVP to declare how much money you're giving the couple. For a gift of $250, they say your meal at their wedding will include roast chicken or swordfish. If you give a gift of 250 to 500, you get steak or poached salmon. Would you like the filet mignon or lobster tails meal? That's got to be between 500 and 1000 dollars as a gift. Oh my God. If you give 
$1,000 or more as a gift, you will get a two-pound lobster and a souvenir champagne glass. Souvenir. (laughs) Or you could have the vegetarian or kosher option. Meaning if you're a vegetarian or you prefer a kosher meal, you have to give at least $1,000. Man, you are setting the vibe wrong from the get-go if you send that invitation out. Wow. Who thinks that's okay? Um, you know, there's people who do it low-key, Scott. You know, there's people who do stuff like that a little more low-key. Maybe it's not right there on the invitation, but in the way that they act toward you. Or, um, I don't know, there's people who will straight up tell everyone how much it costs them each plate to make them feel guilty. They'll say, do you know how much it costs for that? By the way, that's like a $150 meal you're eating. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, there's people who do it really like uh, still like makes me just roll my eyes in the back of my head. But this is like next level. You're basically treating this as like a ticket to a ball, right? And and you get, uh, and there's tiers. Your tier one, your tier two, your tier three. Oh, you get the VIP treatment. You get the special seating because you purchased this more. It's supposed to be about, I mean, whatever. You lose sight of what it's supposed to be about when you do shit like this. It's supposed to be about you uniting as a couple, getting married, and all your friends and family being there to support you. It's not a fucking business where you can charge I mean, where you should charge, I should say, you know, for front row seats and this and that. And, oh, and everybody can look around, by the way, may I add, and look at who bought what for what money. Oh, look, they fucking chintzed out. They got that shitty chicken over there. Look at me eating my filet mignon. Fuck you. Like, I, I just, it sets the tone completely wrong for what's supposed to be a lovely, beautiful day right from the get-go. I would totally just not go to this wedding. Like, don't care who you are. I wouldn't be friends with someone who did that anyway, but I'd let it be known that I thought that that was just a crock of shit. How many people, though, go out and they they do all those wedding-y things like, let's go and look at four different banquet halls and figure out which one's best, and they'll all give you a meal, a sample menu. You can try them out, and let's go and pick out uh, the wedding dress, and then you do all the math, and you realize, oh, shit, this wedding is going to cost us $40,000. If we're having a $40,000 wedding and we have maybe 200 guests coming, that means that we need to count on $200 per guest. Okay. All right. So we better tell people we need this amount of money or we're going to lose on the wedding. You really can't think of it that way, guys. You can't. You, If you want that dream wedding... Go ahead, but like we touched on last week, just assume that you got to do this on your own. Just assume you're not getting anything. And if you do, hey, that's great. But if you're going to spend $40,000, you've got to have $40,000 to spend. Yeah, you know, I, I, and, and people do see it. People do see it that way, you know. Um, they'll keep. I know people who keep, never mind keeping tallies in your head about who brought what, but I mean, I've heard it happen before. Friends of mine even have said, did you know this happened? And then this person showed up and gave me $50 and brought four people. Like, and I know that sucks. Okay. I get it. You take, you're, you're going to take a bit of a hit on that. If you want to see it that way, if you were expecting it, but I think the expectation is so high. I've also seen people actually keep Excel spreadsheets of what, everyone brought to their wedding so they know when it comes their turn to get married what they should give Mm-hmm. absolutely so i know people do it and i know sure it's a kind of a hit to the gut if you get nothing i'm sure it would kind of suck but this is a like it's getting so stupid this is just too much get married because you love the person and like scott said i do agree with you on that 
use the money that you have. You don't need to go into hardcore debt, by the way. That's a real rocky start to a marriage when you're going into debt over your wedding. Because trust me, you're going to have so much shit come up as a couple that does a lot of the time involve money. You're going to tackle this on top of it. Good luck. You're already off to a shitty start, my friends. I just think it's... uh... It's frustrating. Now, there are people out there who, when they get invited to a wedding, might even ask the bride and groom, how much are you guys paying per plate? Because I want to make sure that we give you enough. Yeah. If you want to do that, fine. And as a bride and groom, if you want to reveal that information, okay, fine. If they ask and you're comfortable telling them, no problem at all. Go ahead and think of it like that. But there's other people who just come into it expecting that they're going to get whatever. And it doesn't always work that way. And it's really, like you said, it puts the whole thing off on the wrong foot when you have to start counting on your friends and family to pay for your special day. For whatever reason, we've got a long tradition in this country of expecting our friends and family to pay for our wedding. And it's really never the way it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. I, I I think when I got married, there were some people, and part of it's cultural. Let's be honest. There's some from a more European background that will automatically give such and such because they know how much the banquet halls cost, and they know what a, a gift should be based on how much a plate is. They average it out in their head. Fine. Other people don't. I mean, there were some uh, run-of-the-mill, good old home-born Canadians at my wedding. That gave me a hundred bucks and they probably thought that was a pretty generous gift. Right. I didn't bat an eye at that. Oh, hey, you give me a hundred bucks. Either that's what you thought was appropriate or what you could afford. It's a hundred dollars more than I had. So I'll take it. There were some people who gave me 10 times more than that. And I was really surprised about that. So thank you. But you can't count on that. You can't budget for that. Telling people. Mm, yeah. Give us over 500 bucks. You're going to get rewarded with the filet mignon. Fuck that. Send out the three-pound tomahawk. That's what I want for 500 bucks. That's crazy. By the way, when you add up how much you get charged per plate, some of these banquet halls are just making a fortune. Oh, it's crazy, right? Every wedding, they're making a fortune. And the fact that in this particular case, too, you think about this this wedding. Oh, a couple of buttes, too. But anyway, this particular wedding, when you've got chefs in the kitchen, they're probably just thrilled with joy that they got to cook all those different kinds of meals. It's stupid. Oh, boy, they must be uh, frustrated, too. You're right. I never even thought about the poor cooks in the kitchen and the wait staff that's got to figure it out. Imagine that. Okay, table 25, there's 10 people at the table, and I've got eight different meals here. Okay, uh, three of them are getting the chicken. <laughs> One will get the swordfish. Got a couple of steaks, a couple of filet mignon. Oh, somebody's getting the, the two-pound lobster. I better bring them their souvenir champagne goblet. It's so, And the souvenir, come the f- who the fuck do you think you are? It's like going like, to a baseball game yeah. at Rogers Center. Does it come with free refills? Just stop, <laughs> eh? Just stop. It's so stupid. But you know what? I, I also take into account a little value. Let me just point out a part of the other side of the story. From the couple's perspective, if you're going to a wedding and they tell you it's an open bar, you should take into account that for them to offer you an open bar, it is going to be a substantial amount of money. If you'd stayed home and made a dinner and drank mm-hmm. a half a case of beer, it would be expensive. Yeah. But we all know how much you pay when you go right. to an establishment for that. And that so, part, I don't even knock. 
Scott, that part I didn't even knock. If you're going to a wedding and you know it's a nicer establishment, that's fine. But you still give within your own comfort. You're not, you shouldn't be expected to do it. For me, yes, of course. If I'm going to have, go to a wedding at the Legion and I know it's a Toonie bar, I take that into account. Yeah, I do. If I am going to a backyard wedding, you know, similarly, I know it's just going to be, um, appetizers and champagne. Okay. I know that going in. So that's great, but I'll do it to my comfort and I'll probably give more then I even, you know, then some people might in that scenario. And if I know it's a very expensive place, I probably adjust my money accordingly and, and get close family and all those things are variables for me. But I mean, this is just extreme. I don't know what they were thinking when they did that other than, uh, I don't know, maybe this is an accountant marrying a, a Revenue Canada auditor. I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> they clearly have their money. Uh, on their mind and uh, their mind on their money. Oh, boy. Uh, a couple quick DMs here. I would like to thank uh, Danny for this, who simply sends in a howdy. <laughs> thank howdy, you. Howdy, Danny. <laughs> and this one. Uh, hey, guys, it's Robin. Just listen to your September 18th podcast. I have an, some old electronics that still work. I've got an old Nintendo, an old Game Boy, a Walkman, and a Discman. Also, my husband has old VHS and a surround sound system he bought when he was 16. He's now 37. We still use them almost daily. Okay, yeah, some of those old electronics work. If you missed that podcast, it was a fun one. Go back and check it out. You can listen to the archives just about any time. Mm-hmm. And if you go back a couple of seasons, you can hear right back to when we were at the old station. Uh, give them a listen. Go ahead. Get caught up on the yeah. whole series. We are... I think this one, we're almost at the 100th episode for season three. I think we got one more to go. And what a weird, I mean, we never knew this would happen, right? This strange season three. Um, Speaking of which, I have a few DMs about our COVID chat from Friday. Okay. Um, Let's get into COVID. Let's get into COVID. I know. You know what? I'll I'll read a couple of these DMs. Uh, Bear with me. This one's long, but someone uh, who works in the Waterloo Catholic School Board. Cat, please keep me anonymous. School is stressful right now. Changes in classes continue to happen. Numbers keep increasing in our classes as they take our teachers to go teach online. Kids at our school have already been sick. We've told them to go get tested. One kindergarten student's parents refused to get tested. They were told he can't come to school for 14 days, but we'll never know if he actually had COVID. How messed up is that? A kid just left my class Friday night with Friday afternoon, sorry, with a runny nose and headache. I've sent out five kids this week alone and I don't get it. A couple of other things. Students are all over each other at recess, despite us constantly reminding them to keep distance. They're in each each other's bubbles. Cohorting might be happening, but what about siblings? If siblings are in different cohorts, doesn't that override the safety net of cohorts to begin with? Our classroom computers had webcams installed last week, by the way. This is board-wide. This tells me they're getting ready to go online whenever they need to. Teachers will most likely be asked to teach from their classes if a shutdown occurs. That begs the question for me already. What am I supposed to do about my own children? Weren't healthcare workers having a difficult time finding childcare during the initial shutdown? So many questions. As you can tell, thank you for keeping me anonymous. Um, okay. Wow. That wow. is a lot of, that's a lot of stuff, right? To mm-hmm. think about. Um, so in terms of the cohorts, you, you can't deny that's a good point. I get it. You, right? You're supposed to have these cohorts in your classrooms, right? So let's say yep. there's 
I don't know how many is in a cohort or how many supposed to be 20, whatever, let's say. So you got that 20, cohort 50, of, whatever, whatever. I don't even know how many it is. And I'm sure every, every school's different. Um, but once you have that cohort, it's true. You have siblings in that school too. And those siblings have that 20 cohort. So one gets sick in that cohort, a bunch gets sick. It leaks to the siblings. The siblings could leak it to the other classrooms. Um, I have another, uh, uh someone who, uh, works at a school who's already nervous about catching COVID. What if she doesn't have symptoms and she's going there every single day? Should she get it anyway? It's not mandatory for them to get it all the time, but she feels like, shouldn't we all be getting tested constantly just to make sure we're not asymptomatic spreading it to other people? who do have symptoms, a lot of questions. A lot of questions about that. Um, One more note uh, on this. Uh, It's from a daycare perspective. Hey, Kat, a note on COVID from your podcast. My kid is in daycare right now. Well, she's actually out for 14 days or whenever we get the COVID test back. She just had a runny nose. I know she's fine. She's already better. But I have to pay for those weeks. I know it's the protocol. It just seems unfair that I'm now missing work to be home with her and have to watch her paying full-time fees to keep my spot. I can't control how long it takes to get these results back. And she's, like I said, she's already feeling better. Can I weigh in? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it does suck that you have to pay for something you're not using. But that's uh, sort of the reality of how daycare works you want to save your spot, you've got to be a paying customer. It's always been like that, by the way, like regardless of COVID, just so everyone knows that's always how it's been. If you, you want to keep your spot, there's very, there's not a lot of daycares out there unless they are privately run that are very flexible and know you well, that will give you that opportunity to not, or, or allow you to not have to pay. Yeah. It's a little, I get it. You don't want to pay for something you're not using, but on the other hand, hey, those daycares have budgets themselves, and they base their budgets and their staffing and so on and so forth on the number of people that they anticipate having to come. And uh, it's a bit of a catch-22, and I get that it's frustrating that you have to pay for something, but keep in mind, if it was another kid that showed up and had a symptom, and yes, that could be a symptom according to the CDC, you would absolutely expect that other kid to be thrown out to be removed until they test positive. And and there's a lot of people who are pissed right now. Some of the school boards, they had to send a kid home if there was a, a kid that was sick, if they had any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, one little girl who was at school and, and had a tummy ache and, and uh, a little nauseous. Okay, well, that means got to send them to the isolation room until mom or dad or caregiver can come and pick them up. And then it's not just sending them home. Their siblings have to go home, too. In case it's COVID, they got to err on the side of caution. Oh, and then you've got to get some assurance for the school that that kid doesn't have COVID. So you got to take them to a walk-in or take them to the doctor. And if there's tests to be done, you've got to wait for the test results and so on and so forth. And it turns into a really big ordeal. I don't know that people would have done anything different knowing that. Would you have opted to go distance learning all the time? There's a lot of people who don't really want their kids in school right now, but put them in school because they don't have another option. They've got to work. And you thought when you sent them back to school, okay, we're good. The problem is if they end up in that situation where, and you can't really blame the kid. I mean, hey, they got a runny nose. Sometimes people do. But the school, they don't know if it's COVID or, or just a yeah. cold They're or allergies or what. Yeah, they so have they to have to take it. those precautions. And I think that you would probably expect that if a kid went to school with a runny nose and it was COVID, you would want them removed. So 
uh, just try and think of it the other way uh, from the school's perspectives because I get it. And if you're a teacher, you don't want to get sick either. Although, as I look at the number of infections that are breaking out, it seems like far more staff members are getting it than actual students. And I'm not sure if there's a scientific reason for that or if... Uh, what the case is, what the explanation for that is. But it does definitely kind of seem that way as I go through the school numbers. Listen, they lowered the gathering limits on the weekend, and I know that wasn't popular for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are still following the rules. They're wearing their masks, and they're keeping their their contacts very close-knit, and they're staying in a bubble, and that's all well and good. They were looking forward to things like Thanksgiving, where they can get together with the whole family, which is kind of a tradition for a lot of people. Now they're thinking they probably won't be able to do that this year. It does suck if you've been doing all the right things, but there's a lot of people that weren't. Why the fuck are nightclubs open right now? Mm -hmm. Why? Who wants to go dancing and drinking and ordering bottle service right now? Mm -hmm. But I see it all the time. There was an outbreak linked to Rebel Nightclub. That story broke on Friday. A lot of people that went to Noir have tested positive since they went. The contact tracing on that has got to be a nightmare. I don't know. To me, I'm more like, let's just go full-blown back phase two. Really? You want to close restaurants for indoor dining? Well, I mean... Before a certain time, maybe. That's why there's like a nice, there's an in-between. There's an in-between, right? And I feel like they're not, they're, there's a little bit more they can do if they really want to make a huge difference. Nightclubs are definitely one of them. Stop at 10, though. Make everyone close at 10. Make, make everybody everyone close, close at, 10. at 10. Okay. You're still going to get all of your dining in and, and the restaurants will still make the money. And I hate to say it because like I know there's businesses, businesses that are struggling right now to stay afloat, especially those in the hospitality industry. But it's not like it's just going to linger here and then the winter's coming i and, just feel like oh sorry you go ahead no i just it's it's just not going to get any it's not going to get better the only the best case scenario here is we can keep it as is but if we change the hours at least i think it will lessen the amount of outbreak we'll have based on like what you're talking about nightclubs absolutely agree with you those shouldn't be open at all. I just think that if you're going to go to an establishment and, and there's lots of uh, underground nightlife type places that are getting around the rules by saying, oh, I mean, we're a restaurant, really. Guys, come on. You're serving bottle we're service. A lounge. No. Yeah, yeah. You've got bottle service going. You've got a DJ with the bass just cranked. You've got a dance floor full of people, flashing lights. I mean, they don't have that at the keg. <laughs> Let's just draw a distinction right then and there. And it seems like it's since it is spreading so quickly amongst young people, that the clubs are kind of a common link there. The university students, okay, maybe they're not going to clubs. Maybe they're just having those private gatherings at somebody's house or whatever. That's the sort of shit that this new rule is meant to target because it's the young people that are catching it by and large. I mean, 70% of the new cases on the weekend were in people under 40. Those are the people who tend to be very, very social, particularly on weekends. Oh, what's the date today? The 21st? Let's draw it back. What happened two weeks ago? Labor Day weekend. Hello. Come on. I mean, we're not getting real-time numbers on these infections. And I get that there's a lot of skepticism. I really do. In fact, it seems to be getting more. The skeptics seem to be winning more people over. Let me give you a for instance. I'm going to be Facebook, you be cat, okay? Okay. 
of course we're getting more tests, or sorry, of course we're getting more infections. We're testing more people. Yeah. How do you respond to that? I know how I respond to that. First, there's an eye roll. But how do you respond to that? The the, the end result, I don't know. For me, the end result is still the end result. We still have a lot of infections happening here. And we're trying to keep track of the infections best we can. The more testing we do, the more aware we are of how many infections we have in any given area. And how, how quickly it's spreading through the community. That knowledge is power all in its own. A. B. We also... Remember the initial, remember way back in March, April, the issues? They're the same fucking issues we have now. We don't want hospital beds taken up with people who are infected. We need to make those numbers lower. So whether it's more testing or not, it doesn't matter. It's still the number of infections that we need to be looking at. Forget about the amount of tests. Yes, that's great that they're testing more people. And maybe there's a lot of asymptomatic people that have been walking around with it that, oh shit, now I know. I had no idea. That's where the problem lies, though, is those asymptomatic people that have been walking around. I could be a carrier for all I know. I've got zero symptoms right now. If I took a test, what would happen? But I'm just, the, the end result is the end result. You still have those people that could give it to somebody else who is vulnerable who takes up hospital beds? Who this, that, and the next thing, right? So it's that's the end. That's the end of result of it. You can't think of all this other shit that happens before it or during it. We still need to get to having less people have it. Period. The end. So people have it. That's the main story to me. It's not about the amount of tests that are being done. Let me be Facebook again, and you be cat. This is another one that I read all the time lately, and it's like everybody's reading off of the same outdated script. Well, I mean, why are we reporting the number of daily new cases? We should only be reporting the number of hospitalizations. <laughs> Listen, again, this is a – you got to think a little more three-dimensionally here. If we get 407 new cases in one day like we just had on Saturday, we already know – Based on everything that's happened so far, a percentage of them will end up hospitalized. And while the doctors have gotten very good at treating people that have it, they've learned a lot over the last six, seven months. We still know those are people that are going to be in hospitals. So when we had 100 cases, which we did, roughly 100 cases all through August, that's part of the reason that we have zero people in hospital right now in a lot of areas for treatment. But that number is slowly creeping up. You're seeing another, it went from 53 people hospitalized to 58 people hospitalized to 64 people hospitalized. As the number of daily new cases goes up, as we identify more and more and more people that have got it, that statistically is going to lead to an increase in hospitalizations. And then it's an even smaller percentage of people that go from hospital into ICU. Okay, those numbers had been fairly stable, but even they're creeping up a little bit. What we're trying to do is keep the number of daily new cases low. And then statistically, our hospitals should be low. And our ICU visits should be even lower. And our number of deaths should be lower. And listen, let me just say this to some of the skeptics. Whether you believe it or not, I'm not trying to change your mind anymore. I tried having those Facebook arguments. I tried explaining to people that more testing does not lead to more cases. Less testing does not mean to lead to less cases. It's just less that we're discovering. Whether we test 40,000 people or 10 people, if we find new cases that we didn't know about before, it was worth the testing because now those people know and they can take appropriate precautions. 
I think that what you need to keep in mind is nobody wants another lockdown. Nobody wants restaurants and bars and hotels and all those other places to shut down. So whether you believe that the number of daily new cases matters, whether you believe that it only matters how many people are in hospital, whether you think more testing, of course, leads to more more positive cases, it doesn't matter what you think. All you have to know is that the government is going off of the rising number of new cases, mm-hmm. and until those go down... And that does matter. It does. Like, but some people, you can't convince them of that. They've talked themselves into this re- unreasonable argument that I'm pretty confident it was Donald Trump himself started. Yes, and I'm did. not shitting on Donald Trump, but I am saying that he started this, well, we're testing more people. That's why there's more cases. No, 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 no. Testing doesn't create cases. Testing just shows you how many new cases there are. And we're, that's not even the full number. Unless we test every single person in the province on the same day, we won't know how many cases there are. These are just new cases getting flushed out in the daily new numbers. So let me just say, no matter how you feel about it, if you think the whole thing is bullshit, if you think it's just a flu, if you don't think the hype is real, and maybe it's not, either way, nothing is going to change until the number of daily new cases goes down. And you can fight with people all you want on Facebook and Twitter and and Instagram and TikTok and whatever the fuck else, but they're not going to go down. Doug Ford is not going to say, well, in hindsight, eh, 100 cases, 400 cases, doesn't really matter. Open everything up and take your masks off. Never going to happen. It's not going to happen. Right. And this is where everybody does need to be on the same page. You can hate these restrictions and think the government is being oppressive and some people are even calling it slavery they're calling masks muzzles you can feel that way if you want or you can be scared and hate that these numbers are going up it doesn't matter until the numbers go down nothing is going to change and that's why we should all work together to get the number of daily new cases down because until it drops there's no fucking way that public health is going to go to doug ford and say yep you can go ahead and tell people to take the masks off yep you can go ahead and ease off on the restrictions you know what open everything back up let movie theaters be in at full capacity oh and by the way worth noting i haven't seen any new cases linked to movie theaters being reopened. I know that was a huge concern and people were freaking out. Oh my God, the movie theaters are opening. Here comes the second wave. I haven't seen any link to that. But I, to be fair, I didn't see, I don't know a lot of people that went or would go. And maybe there's nobody going to the movies. I don't know. But it's funny because for a long time there, as they were easing up restrictions, people kept saying, here we go. Oh, shit. They're opening up the restaurants. People are going to be on patios. It doesn't matter if it's outside. Here's the second wave. There wasn't a second wave. And and then it was, oh, they're opening up the dining rooms. Ah, fuck. Here we go. Eh, The dining rooms aren't really the problem here. Most of the cases are being linked to people who are having those private gatherings and they're thinking they can be, ease up a little bit because, ah, it's Cat. I can hang out with Cat. I know Cat's safe. She doesn't look sick. I, I know exactly where Cat's been. She's fine. Mm-hmm. In reality, I don't know where Cat's been. I, I really don't. And you don't when you, know. I probably don't. But when you just ease up on it because you think, ah, it's my buddy. No, they're fine. Right. That's where shit starts to spread. And you know spread. what? And I'll fully admit that I'm guilty of that. That's why I've stopped more like recently. But like a few weeks back, I've been guilty of it. Like, oh, we're not supposed to hug each other, but I haven't seen you in forever. Let's give each other a quick hug. And thankfully, nothing bad came out of it and everything's fine. But I still took that risk. And I shouldn't have taken that risk. That was my bad. That was on me. 
you know, and but that's an it, that's a problem. And and when you multiply that by lots and lots of people who are in that similar similar scenario that are easing back and going, I know you though, you're fine. Give me a hug when you're right. You don't know where the person's been, who they touched, what they've you know whatever drank, what they did. You don't know. So it, it could easily just come back to bite you in the butt. But more recently, I will say, um, start b- beginning last weekend when I did have a get-together to go to, I, I just said, you know what? No. Nah. I'm going to say no. And I'm okay with that. And I need to do it based on my own comfort level. Even though Oh, was- come on, snowflake. It's just the I flu. Know. Even though it was totally within <laughs> the legal limits, by the way. It was an outdoor event. And I think at the time it, it, there was going to be 20, but whatever was allowed. I know that. Um, it was before it went back down to 10 in one space. But I still went, you know what? I'm not comfortable. And I know that in my bubble, I want to be able to go to my bubble, you know, um, and say, Everything's fine. I've been in. I've, I haven't really seen anybody, and I want to be able to give you that comfort and that knowledge because I don't know. I don't want to infect anybody else. So that's the way that I see it. But that's me personally. What would I say personally? What the government does? Two different things. Obviously, they're they're allowing that many people. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it gets dwindled down even smaller. But it's definitely changing people's Thanksgiving plans. I know someone who's getting married in October. That's all freaking out about it too. But what are you going to do? Case numbers, I, I, like we said, are case numbers. I think more changes are going to happen. Me too. I, I really do. Me I think too. the worst is still to come when it comes to changing restrictions. I, uh, I'm worried about what's to come. And, and like I said, if you take nothing else from what I just said, whether you think that this is all shit or not, Nothing's going to change until the number of daily new cases comes down. And you can go ahead and freak out on Twitter and Facebook and all those other places until you're blue in the face. But nothing's going to change while the numbers are rising. Actually, today's numbers came in three seconds ago. So yesterday we had 365 new cases with over 40,000 tests done. Today, 31,700 tests were done. 425 new cases. That's the most new cases since June. Mm-hmm. 175 cases in Toronto, 84 in Peel, 60 in Ottawa, 67% are under the age of 40. That just in from the health minister, 425 new cases, the most we've had in over three months. And on that, I will say... Have a great day, everybody. Keep your fucking mask on. (laughs) Oh, the masks don't work. You're just breathing in carbon dioxide, and they don't stop the droplets from getting out. Yeah, we've heard it all. Whether you feel that way or not, you just need to know. No one's going to tell you it's okay to take that mask off until the number of daily new cases comes down. And it's probably going to take another lockdown for that to happen. But if, if we all just buy in and do it, even if it's for three weeks to a month, those number that number of daily new cases should come down like it did in July. And get and used August. to your mask. It doesn't matter because the mask is going to have to stay on. Period. I might never end. stop wearing the mask. To be perfectly honest with you, I might keep this thing indefinitely. <laughs> I really might. Amen. Because uh, one thing that did come out of uh, the weekend news is they they found out that there is definitely far less people needing to be treated for things like colds, flus. STDs, things like that. Like all the other shit that public health normally deals with in a year, those numbers are way, way, way down. And they attribute a lot of that to the public health measures that were put in place to prevent COVID. Now, I don't know how that mask prevents you from getting chlamydia, but I mean, whatever, it's fine. (laughs) Uh. Replay time.
Yes, that's right. It is Monday. That means it is a new Missed Connections. Oh, it's a beaut. Enjoy. It's uh, Monday. And on is Mondays, your piano not working? You can just be honest. Is I was it moving it. No, no, I was moving it. Sorry. Okay. All right. I said to drag it a little closer because uh, never mind. It's a whole long piano instrument, long and McQuaid type story. All right. As long as it's there and it's working because I have a backup if I have to. But let's see what you sound like. Does it okay. sound good? No, you sound great. It's fine. Okay, cool. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do missed connections. We're going to read you the stories that we found of people looking for other people. And when they can't find them, they want to try and attract that person back to them. So they tell the story online. This is called The Bus Princess, Man for Woman. Last time I saw you was on the bus, alone in the back, wearing a tiara. You snuck your dog on. I gave you a smile. I wish you could have seen it through my mask. I winked to let you know I'll never tell. You look like a mix of Jewel and Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's Wait. A, that's impossible. How does that work? What? <laughs> okay. Very sweet. You were humming a song to your dog, who turned out to be very vicious. As you were getting off the bus, I attempted to say hi, and he almost bit my thumb clear off my hand. I'd love to meet up with you. Maybe without your dog, though. Anyone know anyone that looks like a mix of Jewel, the singer, and Whoopi Goldberg? Who hums to their vicious dog? <laughs> and where's the and where's the tiara on the bus? Okay, I mean <laughs> that's different, tiara right? On the bus, I don't know. Where do you even buy a tiara these days? The Other dollar than, store, like Party City, or the dollar the store. The dollar yeah. store. That's about it. I mean, yeah. I think that you're going to go with a cheap one, right? You won't wear your good jewels on the bus. Of course why would not. You, why no. would you bust out the good jewels on the bus? Where were you going that you needed a tiara on? And uh, maybe the dog isn't vicious per se. They were just sick of you humming that song. <laughs> I know, I know. They didn't it's want to be the touched. New Bieber, and I've already heard it a million times. How about don't put your face in the face of anyone else during COVID? I would don't blame the dog. Get out of here. Probably, probably a bad you idea, right? Sick. Get your hands off me. Don't touch me. <laughs> your Rona fingers out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this next one is called oh this is really this is embarrassing it's called embarrassing experience at your work and it truly is a uh, man for woman you work at Applebee's as a server I was with my mom and she tried to convince you you should date me she was embarrassing and I want to say sorry she asked you if you knew anything about mail order brides if you weren't interested in a date she laughs a lot at her own jokes, and she also had a few glasses of wine, as you know. She does that from time to time. I would choose not to go out with her, but I have a money issue right now. I want to make it clear, yes, I did find you attractive. You never left your number like my mom asked you to. Maybe you don't find me attractive. Living with my mom is not my ideal situation, but I had to quit my job when COVID struck. Long story. I want to see more of you than just your eyes. From Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, mom was her own C-block trying to get him out of the house. <laughs> hey, listen, what's your name? Christine. Christine. You single, Christine? You like this? Because you can take him. You can, <laughs> you can take him. You can keep him. He's all yours. You can pay this bill, too, because I ain't paid enough bills for him lately. <laughs> He's back again at the house. Told me he'd be gone for good. Nope. 
<laughs> COVID can suck it, Christine. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Okay. How many more glasses can I order? Hmm? It's like a a look into my past. Thank you. What do you mean I can't double fist an Applebee's? What are you talking about? <laughs> protocols. Sick of protocols. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.